This morning we're going to read from uh, Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis, the third chapter, verse 1. says, Now the serpent was more subtle. Subtle, arum, crafty, trickery, deceit. That's that Hebrew word, arum, subtle. Than any other creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, and we know that from this, that it was the enemy, he took the most beautiful, and some believe that the serpent at one point was upright. But we know through the curse in Genesis 3 and verse 14, it was made to go on its belly. But it was the most, one of the most, if not the most beautiful creation, physically, uh, this uh, creature, the snake, the serpent, and uh, very, very subtle in its own right, the way, the way that God had created it. But of course, that was in a protective way. So Satan used this, the most beautiful creature that would appeal in its attractiveness and, and beauty to the woman. And the Lord, and he said unto the woman, he said unto her, yea, because God said, you will not eat of every tree of the garden. Is that true? And he got her, and he got to, her to question. First, he got her into in, in entertainment uh, because she was alone. Uh, she was without her head. She was without her covering. She was all alone. And he got her into conversation with himself. Well, are you not supposed to eat of, can't you eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the, of the, fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, and this is quoting Genesis 2 verse 17, you will not eat of it, neither will you touch it, lest you will die. So she gets in a conversation, and that's what the enemy does with us. He gets us into a conversation through the force of thought. So the force of thought enters into words, and words that, that become received, are, and the, uh, these words received, really they're a thought force in the mind, and if they're not dealt with, they become a function. And that's what the enemy does. So he'll always, he always, and when he can, he'll go after the women. That's why a lot of cults today not be, just because they're women, they're women. Just because women don't function in their proper protective place, the enemy has used them to bring in many, many uh, cults, and that's why it's very important for husbands to know that 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 the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And God's specific order, First Corinthians eleven and verse three. So we see that. We see then that with every cause, there's an effect. And uh, so this goes into the two wills that we've shared for, for many, many years that God has given us through his grace, the scriptures, uh, and how there were, it was only one will before the enemy fell, Satan. He was Lucifer, son of the morning, and then he became Satan or Shatan, the adversary of God, and an opponent and adversary of God. And of course, of man who was made in his image. In Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 27, and in Genesis 5 and verse 2. So, 
She added to the word. She begins to add to the word. Neither will you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you will not die. Here's the reason. Because God knows that in the day that you eat of it, then your eyes will be opened and you will be just like God's. You can be like him. You will be like him. Isn't that the enemy? Isn't that the enemy? Yeah, through his lies, through his, his trickery, through his subtlety, through his arum, says you can be like the Most High. Well, that was his whole thought force when he refused obedience in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, with his creator. Then he said and gave his five eye wells in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. But in Isaiah 14, 14, he said, I will be like the Most High. I don't need to submit my will. I can be like God without God. I will replace him. And in many times, unfortunately, in many marriages, the order becomes reversed. <laughs> and that's the reason why, uh, because of this whole trickery and, and hatred and subtlety against God's order. <clears throat> that's why it's so very necessary for, for us to have as husbands and, and, and some of us as pastors to have proper order because proper order brings in proper initiation. And when you have proper initiation, it brings in proper response. That's the cause and effect. Well, that because uh, there's an effect. And so he began to accuse God. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God's knowing good and evil. And that's what makes it so very important. We through the fall, and this was a fall, they fell in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. In their fall, and in our fleshly nature, which is in us in Romans 8, 9, but that we're not of, when we function in the flesh, we function in what we think is a free will, but just because my, I have a free will does not necessarily mean that I function in freedom without submitting my will to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in James 4 verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself. Notice that's order. That's his initiation. What is my response? Is it obedience or disobedience? Therefore, submit yourself unto God. Then, then you will resist the devil. Then he will flee from you, but without him, the submitted will, you face the enemy all alone, and what match are we for this supernatural evil, this disguised superhuman power that's opposed to God's divine will? How necessary is God's divine will, his divine word? And must there be submission of my will, submitted to his will, who is Christ, who did finish it, in John 4, in verse 34, he finished his will. He came in Psalm 47 and 8, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. He came to fulfill his will. See, we could have never have done that. We can't do a thing apart from our wills being submitted because they only function in a fallen state under the prince and power of the air and who Christ has nothing to do with in John 12, 31, and in John 14, 30. So we see here very, very clearly, very clearly what was going on here was that she, 
she, Eve, entertained a relationship outside of her head, her covering, which was Adam as he would submit to Christ. They ate from the tree of knowledge and not from God's tree of dependence on him. And so they lost freedom and thereby they lost the freedom of the life and the love of that life that was theirs and that God created them uh, to experience through submitting and through obedience. And so Satan deceived Eve. How? She, she can be like God. But you know what? She already had everything that God created her to be in that proper image. You see, the enemy's lies to get us, his lie, his subtlety, uh, and we'll see it in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, subtlety is panergia, and again, those trickery, deceit, trickery, deceit, to function outside of a proper image. And so, just think of the, when we function outside of a proper image, what are we doing? We are literally opposing God's order, and the order has to do with freedom, with submission of the will. And so, again, she already had everything that God provided her in the specific image that she had, and it was all in terms of his providing. He had to do, and he could only do everything, because with every cause, there's an effect. God was the cause of even their, their being, <laughs> and when we submit to him, there's, we have a proper effect. But Eve... Eve, in her desires through no, you know, to have knowledge, what did she do? What did she do? She wanted to be exalted instead of waiting on God in a proper place, in a proper image. And that's why waiting and patience is so very, very important. But, but she needed to be and wanted to be, through these false desires, to be exalted instead of waiting for God in faith dependence to exalt her. That's why it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's God's order. And that's God's initiation. God never initiates anything outside of order. And the order has to do with his nature, character, and essence, which controls all of his attributes. And we see the fruit of those things being produced in John 15, 1 to 5, being produced in terms of being called the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So, but now pride is in the soul, enters into the blood life, and that's why the life of the flesh in Leviticus 17, 11, is in the blood. The life of the flesh now is in the blood. Sin came in through deception and enticement. And so, what do we see? What do we see here? Satan, his lies, his trickery, his subtlety, his arum, his panergia, is what? Is always arguing through his lies against the character of God and the integrity of his standards that are revealed in the Word of God constantly. We entertain. How necessary is it for us to be submitted to God's will, Christ, about who we are and who he's made us to be in our own particular image as we function in God's order. Well, what would happen? What happened? Well, what was the method of the deceit that the serpent employed against Eve? What was it? It was to, to distort. 
the meaning of God's protective prohibition. And then to do that, to do what? To hold it up to ridicule. You know, Satan ridicules us with his lies. You don't have to trust him. You can do this. You don't have to do this thing, and you don't have to do that thing. You don't need the word. You don't need the preaching. You don't need the body of Christ. You don't need that. You can function on your own. And he, with his lies, he ridicules the truth. But by doing so, he's ridiculing the individual in their own precise image that God has made them to be in a love life, which will be the result of a will submitted in experiencing that. Well, he holds it up to ridicule. You know why? Because he gives them a new form. A new form of thinking. Yeah, still the word. But mixing all kinds of subtlety and deception and trickery with it. And so, what happens? The tempter was telling them, I am shocked that God would be so guilty to hold back something from you. Did you ever think that? That, that, that you're in Christ, that God had something against you? That for some reason, whatever happened, it was because that God was against you and not for you. This is the trickery. This is the subtlety. You know, and it was Adam and Eve. And remember in the types, Eve was taken out of Adam. Ish, Adam, out of him was taken Isha, out of him. And just like us, everything about us, we are taken out of what Christ has accomplished. And boy, do we need to be submitted to him through his word in, in a most beautiful expression and in a beautiful way. So the enemy, he feigns, he tricks and says, oh my God, I am so shocked that God would be guilty of issuing such a commandment to hold back something from you that would benefit you. Why does God make us wait for certain things? Why? Because he has something against us. He's holding back something that we need. Or is he protecting us? You know, that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is what? It's patience, long-suffering. He has to get us into a proper place where the will is finally submitted so that he can bring in the true desire, the true blessing. So he's, he begins to break down the woman's dependence. That's what he tries to do with us. He tries to break down our dependence on God through these thought force, through these lies and these questionings. He get, begins to break down our, our faith, our absolute dependence on Christ because of how we feel, because of what we're going through, because of what we see. No wonder it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen are temporal. Things that are not seen are eternal in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. So he begins to break down her faith, her absolute dependence, and that's what he does with us, by sowing his lies his sowing his lies in her mind to produce doubt. Doubt. Remember? Even when we fail, God forbid, you know, and, he, and we don't have to in First John 2, 1, we don't have to sin, but if we do, we do have an advocate. But even when we do sin, 
Romans, and those of us that are in Christ, Romans 14, 22, happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. And he that doubts in 14, 23, he that doubts is damned if he eat, is God damning him in Christ. He's damned that who's doing the damn. He's damned if he eat because he eats not of faith dependence. Whatsoever is not of faith, this dependence is what? It's sin. Sin. So he brings in doubt. He brings in suspicion. This is a big one. Oh boy, the suspicion that he tries to use to cause between believers, between husbands and wives between the oneness of the body of Christ. Is there any suspicion in love? Was God ever suspicious of a soul? Or did he not have all knowledge in 1 John 3.20? And of course he did. Is there any suspicion in love? Did Jesus not commit himself in John 2.24 and 25 because he knew what was in man? Yes, he knew. But was he suspicious? No. Then, through this thought force, bring in these mental false images, these false pictures, and you begin to picture in your mind. Jeez, I can tell just by the way that person looked, they have something against me. <laughs> these false pictures in, this in the mind. But really, what are they? It's everything that's against God, who's almighty, and God against his pure motives towards us. He brings that in. And you know, when faith fails, faith dependence fails, what happens? The sure foundation of a spiritual moral conduct begins to collapse. We give in. And you know what? It's only a small step from unbelief to sin and to disgrace. That's why it says in Ephesians 4, verse 27, Give no place, don't even give the slightest place to the devil. Do not entertain him. Do not get, give no place to the devil. Again, Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Well, when, I, when it's not the word, when it isn't God's word, when it isn't God's full thought, a true image, who I truly am in Christ and who God truly is as manifested in, through and in Christ, what happens? What do we do? We get into conversations, mental conversations with the enemy, and he always tempts us. What? And, and that temptation is what? It's always what? It's dangerous. John 10, 10a, the thief comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. How? Through thought force. When the thought force enters in and it's not dealt with, it becomes a function, a way of behaving. And then when we know these things and don't do them, in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them, and that even enters into forgiveness of, e of each other. But if you don't, it, we get hardened. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 16 and verse 6, that your lines, the lines, the guides of conduct and proper behavior through your thought force, your very word through Christ, become a defense. Your lines unto me I, I fall out in what? Very pleasant places. Yea, I, I experience the fact that I do have a goodly heritage and that all my supply is supplied by him. It just happens... 
It just happens to be that he knows when the supply, his supply, will bless me and when it won't be a curse. And that's why we need to be patient and wait for certain things because only God knows those things for all of us. So it's always dangerous to start to parlay or get into a mental conversation with the tempter. We know that. Remember what Jesus said too. Because the mind of man, what is the mind of man? Why, what did, why did God make, make and, and develop him with a free will and a mind? Right? Because, and, and, and gave him a mind. Who am I to give my mind over to through the will? Who should I do that to? When I do it to God, I function in a proper image. When I don't, I don't have a proper image. And so the mind, though, when I have a proper image, now it enters into pro- proper worship. And worship always has to do with serving. What am I doing today? Does it have to do with worshiping him? Or is it just a mundane detail that I just got so used to doing every single day, every single day, and it's just a means to a temporal end of something? No, it always enters into worship when we function in a proper image. And so are we apart, just like Eve wasn't, are we apart from submitting to our head, are we a match for this evil, supernatural, disguised, superhuman power that's opposed to God's will? Are we any match for it at any time? And we're not. None of us are. None of us are at all. And so, just like with Eve, Adam and Eve, we can't, we can't ever go back to innocence why a baby, even a baby when it's born, has a sin nature, as cute as it may be in Psalm 58, verse 3. They're, not, they're never born in, innocent. Adam was created innocent. He was the only one and fell from it. And I believe almost immediately. God blesses. God blesses, gives us everything. And then we take the blessing and turn our back on him and make more of what he blesses us with than him. Innocence. In it, our innocence is lost, but what we have in Christ is far above the innocence had Adam never even failed. It's far above because he always does. And flip in, in Ephesians 3.20, exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in him. And that power in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24 is Christ. So now... What he does and what he was doing with a woman and what he likes to do with us, what he likes to do with us is he charges our creator, our our Lord, with selfishness. God's holding back. So either it's something I did and shouldn't have or it's something that God sees that I should have done and he's angry at me and he's holding back. How would you be with your child? What do we make God like? Well, again, he charged the creator with selfishness and with a malicious, evil intent and falsehood. And he began to represent God as envious and unwilling for those that he loves to have something that would make them like himself. (laughs) Like we could be like God. Like the omniscient one. He's omniscient in 1 John 3.20. Like. Did you see that? He kept convincing Eve that apart from God, she could be like him, just like him in Isaiah 14, 14. 
When he fell in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, he was complete in all his ways of obedience and submission till iniquity was found in him, an unsubmitted will. Till iniquity was found in him. Then he said in those five I wills, but the finality is Isaiah 14, 14, I will be like the most high. What are we like? Even in our Christianity, when we function apart with him, apart from him, I should say. Well, remember what he said, like? Looked up that word like in Isaiah 14, 14, and it's called dama. Dama, D-A-M-A-H, dama. And you know what the first thing it means? To compare. That's what it does, compare. Compare. Get you to compare yourself with another believer. You have the same life. We don't all have the same place in the function of God's order, but we do all have the same life. We are all children of God by faith, children of Abraham by faith in Christ. We all are in Galatians 3 and verse 26. We don't all have the same function in Galatians 3 and verse 28, based upon Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. We don't. We don't. None of us do. But we all have a specific place, and that has to do with the proper image, even functioning in our proper place. So, the first thing, the first thing, what did he do? He got her to compare. But what was the comparison based on? It was a lie. Let me compare. Let me compare. Let me compare. And then when I think others are doing that with others that we love, then maybe I think I have to do something about it. Maybe you don't know anything just like me without him. It's very interesting when you see comparing here, com- to compare. Literally, again, this word dama in the Hebrew, it means to compare or by implication to resemble. <laughs> I can resemble God. God told me a long time ago, I mentioned it to Mike a long time ago. I think we both had the same thoughts on it. God a long time ago said to me, Ed, you can't be God. You can't be me, but you sure can have me. But you can only do it through submission, through a submitted will, so you function properly. So again, it means to resemble. It means to resemble, to devise, to think. To think I can be like God just based upon the word that he's given me <laughs> and that I don't need him and I can function apart from him. I can function apart in a marriage like the husband can function apart from the wife and the wife apart from the husband. To think that believers in a, in a local assembly can function apart from them. Well, that's what it means to devise. It means to think. It means to use similitudes. You know what that means? Those are the excuses the enemy will give in John 15, verse 22. The excuses, which is nothing more than a lie that's rat, a lie that hides the hatred toward God and his order. That's what it is. And he'll use those. He'll use them in every single way that he can. Now, this is 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 says this, and I'm going to read it. I'll read it to you so you can follow along when I read it. Now, I, Paul, myself, myself, notice what he's saying? Beseech you by the meekness. Where did he get that from? He got it from being yoked up to Jesus, didn't he? His will was submitted. That's the yoke. 
That's the yoke. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, all you that labor, where the enemy causes us to do that, labor about our sin, labor about all the details that we have to do, what he, he chooses to cause labor, will we if we submit to him? No. All you that labor, and we could labor even about sins, and being, he tries to hold us accountable through guilt and condemnation, which there isn't any in us in Romans 8.1. And so, there it is. All you that labor and are heavy laden, what's that mean? You labor over something, and if you don't give it to him, cast all your care upon him in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, in Psalm 55, and verse 22. If you, if you labor, then you're heavy laden. You're bearing a weight. You have no responsibility. You're not even built to carry it because Christ is the burden bearer, and he's already borne all that and paid for all of our guilt and our sin. So, 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul says, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That harkens back to Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Is there any rest outside of submitted will? All these thoughts going on in the mind. What are they? If it's not the full thought, of God through Christ by his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just the enemy, same, same thing again. Start comparing. Go ahead, start comparing. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of who? We're learning. Under the liar or under him whose truth in John 14, 6 and 17, 17 of John. That we're either learning one way or another. Our learning, one learning teaches us we never have to compare because we're already satisfied in the image we have. Another constantly causes us to compare. Not only causes us to compare, but it'll even, even with those that God uses in our life, it'll cause us to use us to compare that too. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you, I plead with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, they didn't think very highly of Paul, after everything he had invested and done in, through Christ in him, but nevertheless not separated. See, the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, never separated from the vessel. And if it's, if it's, if it's proper, if the vessel, the, the weak, human, frail, a clay pot that we are, is submitted to the treasure, it's the treasure that comes out. But if that, that weak human being is not submitted, that believer in Christ is not submitted to the treasure that Christ is, what comes out? It's not, it's not, it's not truth. It certainly is a lie. Who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. In other words, you know, yeah, interesting. People, can, people, when they don't, Christians even, when they don't want to function in honesty, boy, they're bold when they're away. Never face to face. Never. Bold in expressing certain things, very bold in their opinions, but when it comes to being face-to-face, -face, don't want it. Why? Well, if you read John, the third chapter, in verses 17 to 21, you know that men love darkness and not the light, because if they do come to the light, the darkness will be exposed. Well, verse 2, but I beseech you in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 2, that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. It's very interesting. 
Satan gets his counselors. <laughs> he gets his counselors. His spiritual detectives, you know, I used to call it the spiritual Dick Tracy. Gonna spy out things, you know. Look for the speck in their eye while the sequoias in ours. But I beseech you that I may be bold. Some think that we walk according to the flesh. That's how they judge us. They know us after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5.16. But in doing so, to think that way towards another believer is functioning outside of God's order. You've submitted to a lie. Now you begin. The only thing you can do at that point is compare yourself. Because in this area, they don't measure up. (laughs) Verse 3, But though we walk in the flesh, in these bodies, our war has nothing to do with that. Boy, if we understood that, right? The arguments that we can get into, husband and wife, is that against flesh? Ephesians 6, 12? Nope. Believers? Nope. Nope. We get into these wars because there's a lack of submission. There's a lack of not functioning in proper order through the Scriptures, how we should deal with each other in the light of God's love and the submission of the Scriptures. For verse, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal. They're not of our flesh and blood. But mighty through God. Mighty through God. To the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Where I was held strong in certain areas, when I'm not going forward through a submitted will, when I'm not being taught, when I'm out of my place, when I function in disorder, what do I go back to? Those strongholds. Does the flesh get any better? Read in the Gospels. The house was cleaned. It was cleaned of an evil spirit. It was cleaned in, in the sense. And of course, we can't be, we can't be possessed by, by the devil, but we can certainly be obsessed. So the house was once cleaned. The evil spirit, the evil influence was kicked out. But they would, the enemy waits. He's very subtle and crafty. He waits for the unsubmitted individual. And then seven more come in effect. Principle. Can't be. We cannot be possessed, but we can be oppressed. And that's in Psalm 62 and verse 10. But mighty, powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Something held me strong. I can't get victory. Casting down what? Imaginations, false images. And every high thing (laughs) that causes me to compare, because obviously I know this, this person doesn't. That that exalts itself. The enemy with the lie, with his trickery, exalting himself, what? Above the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all your disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? Do you and I think we have that ability? Miss ourselves and look on someone else? They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said this. They shouldn't have done that because I know better. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him think, let himself think this again, that as he's Christ's, (laughs) even so are we. Isn't that interesting? 
For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority as an apostle, as one who had received a lot of truth that they hadn't yet received, yet it was theirs, but they hadn't yet received it yet, and even comparing themselves with him, and coming to the place where they didn't need him anymore. <laughs> they don't need the body anymore. I don't need to come to hear the word anymore. I know enough. I can function on my own. I know what to do. And so I may not like a certain area so or a place, so off we go. Well, even so are we, Christ. What do you mean? You fail. <laughs> what do you make of your failures? What do, you, do you make more of, the, of, of another believer's failures than who they are in Christ who dealt with them? Blow off your failures, but make theirs an issue. <laughs> boy, oh boy, God forbid that any of us, that I should do that or any of us, for though I should boast somewhat of our authority, which the Lord has given for what? God gives authority, the authority of his love. For what? For edification, for building up. And not for your destruction. I should not be what ashamed. Though I may seem as if I would terrify you by this letters, by, these pre by this preaching. For his letters, or really his preaching, say they, geez, they're weighty and they're so powerful. They're so intense. Oh my God, they're so strong. Where is he getting that from? Where? Had a beautiful talk with Harrison yesterday. Beautiful fellowship. Through us both being submitted. And there was nothing but Christ coming out. Very beautiful. Well, I mean, his teaching, his letters, his preaching are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. Look, I see his weakness. He's weak. It doesn't make sense with what he preaches. Who's he? Who's he? Well, I don't know. Do we know who we are in God's order in a local assembly? Is that very important for edification and the love to, to flow in a proper way, to be a joint that supplies Ephesians 4, verse 16? Follow it all the way down. If it's not 16, a joint that supplies, it's no longer 17 of Ephesians 4. And when it's not, it's, it's 18. We function in darkness. The truth that we'll use, we'll use it to function in darkness and use it as an excuse. Would God ever give us grace to live in sin in any one area in Romans 6, 1 and 15? Never. Should I do evil in Romans 3, 8, that, that good may abound? Never. His speech, but yet his bodily presence is weak and his speech is, God, is contemptible. Well, what, when wouldn't the word and the preaching be condemnable when we're living in the flesh under the prince and power of the air? While he's oppressing us. <laughs> oh boy, he didn't want this coming out. I can tell you that right now. He didn't want, didn't want those booklets coming out either. I can guarantee you that right now. We need to keep each other in prayer. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be indeed when we are present. Now here's the comparing thing. Remember that word, Dama, the enemy? Getting Eve to compare herself in all reality with who? With God. When we compare ourselves by ourselves, really in reality, what's the enemy getting us to do? Compare ourselves with God. We don't need his word. We don't need that. We don't need that at all. We just don't. 
See? Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 10. For we dare not make ourselves. Do we make ourselves anything? Or does the enemy make us something? Or are we made in Christ? We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves. <laughs> compare ourselves with some that command themselves. Hmm. Oh. Hmm, behind the scenes, and the person's not there, you know? I didn't like this, I didn't like that. You know, did, that, did you like that? Did you hear that? Did you see that? Did you like that? I didn't like that. I like this and this, but I, did. I, I didn't like this. I like what this person did. I didn't like what this one was. All in the body, isn't that interesting? All because I've displaced myself through the lie. To get out of my proper place of submission to God and humility. You know, a lot of times I would, you know, God would give me the word and it would be like, what, uh, what you know, like, uh, God help me. God, does God help the flesh? No, he, what does he do? He humbles it. You know, when he, when he helps us, he helps us. The help is the strength of his grace. That's the help. But what must happen first? I must be decreased in John 3.30 that I can experience the increase. You know, so many Christians want the increase without the decrease. Don't tell me what I am in the flesh. Don't tell me. I want you to accept me in who I am in the flesh. And if you don't, I feel you're against me. Well, if you see the, the preaching of the word in 2 Timothy 2.24, it's to help those that truly are opposing themselves in 225. And by opposing themselves, they're opposing God who's for them. <laughs> get, to, get you to function in the flesh so that you function like everybody's against you. They're not accepting you when you function in the flesh. And, and, uh, and, and ultimately, what are you doing? It's just, you think God's against you. You're opposing God. And I would be in the flesh. And why is it? Because in 2 Timothy 2.26, it's a will that's been taken captive by Satan. Through what? A lie that causes us to do what? Compare. I can fake fellowship like you wouldn't believe in the flesh. We can do that in a heartbeat. And we can pretend in Romans 12 verse 9 that we love. We can pretend that we love. But we're just, when in the flesh, there's all the hypocrisy and every excuse that there is. That's where it is. But it's not who we are in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? This is teaching us this is not who we are. This is not against who we are in Christ. It's against the enemy that causes us to function in this way. So how is it then that we could be an enemy towards each other? It would be outside the truth, which would be a lie, and now I compare myself. So help me while I'm in the flesh. We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not what? Wise. Where does all this wisdom come from? If any lack wisdom, let them ask of who? Where does wisdom come from? Well, it comes from God. How does he manifest his full thought through his word, which is Christ? Is he the, is he the wisdom? In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God. Do we have any power to face the enemy? No. He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. That keeps us kept in 1 Peter 1, 5, safe through submission. 
and we don't face the enemy alone, thinking that we know enough so that we don't need to continue to function and continue to even to be taught. When all of us, even spiritual dads, young men, and babes, are all going to be continually taught, and that for all eternity. But now on the earth, there's a function, and that functions in order in a local assembly. We don't just fly around and go all over the place and have our own opinions about everything that not only become destructive and dangerous to ourselves, but others that we express them to. Because remember, you've got to be careful what you hear in Mark 4, verse 24. Be careful how you hear in Luke 8, 18. Be more ready to hear the word in James 1, 19 to 21, right to 23 and 4. So, again, here we are. Here we are. James 1. We're almost done here. James 1. James 1. If any of you, in verse 5, lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Where does wisdom come from? That gives to all men freely and, and abundantly. And, he, and, it's, and, he, and it doesn't upbraid him. All she had to do was ask. Not, but not leave her head. All she had, all we have to do is ask. But why? No, we function alone in what we think is our own wisdom. We know enough to to understand and think we can discern certain things. Is there any judgment or suspicion in discernment? Is there any doubt? None. It's brokenness. And why does God break us to prepare us? He doesn't break us to make us comfortable. That's the enemy. After the brokenness, and it's beautiful to be broken, the will, and broken means submitted will, then the enemy instantly, if we give him, he wants us to settle down and be comfortable. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters to others. See that in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives freely to whoever asks. And it's not, it's, he's not against us in asking for the slightest thing. And it will be given him. That's, of course, grace. But let him ask what? In faith dependence. Not things wavering. The lie versus the truth. Giving in to the questions versus just trusting God. In Proverbs 3, 5. For he that wavers in his mind, being confused... In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it's like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Who's the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2? The wind. For let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is what? It's unstable in all his ways. All his ways. But follow it through here, this wisdom that we're talking about. And look at the, where it starts. In James 3, verse 1. James 3, verse 1 in the King James says this. My brethren, be, be not many masters, knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation. It's a, very, it's a very, very, very bad translation here. Because the original says this. Many of you are becoming teachers when you yourself don't even know what's being taught. You don't even have a full grasp of it. Present imperative. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. The worst thing you can do, even if you recognize a gift in a young man, is continually build him up because, believe me, you can't handle it. He will not be able to handle it. And when you can't handle it, 
And when that young one can't handle it, it was, the enemy will get him to use even that knowledge that's not even yet experiential to use it to compare himself. And, you, and a lot of times, just like with Paul, it's to compare himself with the one that God used to give him that information and that knowledge. Stop being, stop it. President Parent, many of you thinking you're going to become pastors and teachers when you yourself don't even know. President Imperative, stop it. Because those that are truly pastors and teachers and put in a proper place are going to receive the greater manifestation at the Bema Seat of Christ. The greater manifestation. That, to know James 3.1, you've got to know Hebrews 13 and verse 17. But you've got to have it, know it the right way, not the way that we were taught, the reverse. Do you see? In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, what is a word? It's a thought force. It's a function. Which is it? It's a liar. Is it a truth? The same is a mature man and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in, the, in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, so big and huge and beautiful, are dr and are driven of fierce winds. Whew, fierce winds. How many Christians are driven by fierce winds? They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine in Ephesians 4, 14 because they're not submitted. They're not submitted because they don't know truth. They don't know truth because they don't like God's order and they don't want a local assembly. They don't like it. So they're driven all over the place. All over the place. They're driven. And they think it's their own opinions in Proverbs 18, verse 2, but we know right now that none of us, in Matthew 6, verse 24, are masters of, our, of ourselves. We can't serve both. We'll hate one, love the other, or vice versa. Driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whether, wherever the governor, that thing that stares it, is where it tells it to go. Say, uh, what does a little disobedience do? What does a little obedience do? A little known obedience in James 4.17 keeps that ship, keeps that believer in the right path. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Proverbs 4 and verse 18 for path. And in the book of Job in many places about a proper path, proper thinking, proper thinking. Proper lines in Psalm 16, verse 6. Even so the tongue is a little member. And boast great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire that's not submitted, the mind, the thought, the will. A world of iniquity. Remember, he was found in obedient, he was obedient till iniquity was found in him in Ezekiel 28, 15. And then in his iniquity, he said, I'm going to be like God. Really, what he was saying, I'm going to replace him. I don't need him. I'm going to replace him. I don't need to be in a certain place. Look out. Use guys, wherever you are, when that one's coming. It's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among members. Our members. One member. One member. Just like our body is one. Hmm. I'm either, I'm either given a world of iniquity as a believer through unsubmitted will or a world of, of a love life. Right? The tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body. 
The little leaven leaven the whole lump. Yes, I made it clear. Yes, we do have peace now. We do. We have that settled peace inwardly, but there's an outward peace too. No question about it, and there was a reason for it. Remember, none of us are against each other. We're only for each other. Okay, I have five minutes. It defiles the whole body, this will, this tongue, these words, this thought force, this will that's not submitted to Christ, and sets on fire the, the course of what? Nature, everything about the natural. It is set on fire of hell. <laughs> For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and things in the sea is tamed. What man, what he does, but has been tamed of man. He can tame anything. But the tongue, oh, the unsubmitted will, no man can tame. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul was saying in Romans 7, verse 21, when I would do good without a submitted will, what's present with me? Evil is present with me. And then I call evil good, good evil, and so forth in Isaiah 5, and verse 20. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly what? Evil. Full of deadly poison. That's the cacos. That's not cacos poison, intrinsic, that he was. Satan went around and infected Poneros in Ephesians 5 and verse 16. He went around. He wasn't satisfied with cacos evil. We'll never be just satisfied with our own. We're gonna, it's going to come out and we're going to affect someone else because we want others around us. And we'll call it fellowship. We went around, read Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, 15, right down to the 20s. You'll see what he did. He went around and slandered and maligned the character of Christ, his creator. And it's okay. For those things not to be dealt with, it's okay. Let's have fellowship anyway. No. It's a deadly poison. Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therefore curse we men. I can bless God and curse a believer, which are made after the very similitude, image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things are not to be so. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Brood of bitterness in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, because of a lack of 14. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? neither a vine figs, so no fountain can both yield salt and fresh water. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples and speaking to the Pharisees. You will know them, those Pharisees that hated him, in Matthew 7, 16 to 20, you'll know them by their fruits. A good tree doesn't produce evil fruit. An evil tree doesn't produce good fruit. Who is a wise man and endued and indwelt with experiential knowledge among you, let him show out of a good citizenship, a good lifestyle. What's his conduct like? What's he like? What is his language like? What are his words? Words don't have any meaning? Boy, trying to get that one through to all of us. It's very, very amazing. A good lifestyle in Christ's character. His works with what? Meekness of wisdom. Where does that come from? You're being yoked up to Christ in Matthew 11, 28. 
to 30. But, but separated from the meekness, which is wisdom, meekness, being alone with God, and when I know how to be alone with God in, in proper teaching and preaching, I'll know how to be when I get together in a local assembly, which is humility. <laughs> Gosh, and not comparing. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, your minds, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthy, sensual, natural, really, it's natural, and demonic. Demonic. For where envy and strife is, and thank God when it's not, now it's gone, yeah, now you have peace. Yes, you do. You have peace inwardly, but now you can have fellowship with those that have are like-minded. But when they're not, you don't have fellowship. For this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthy, natural, and demonic, where there is envy and strife, there is what? Confusion or what? Disorder. There's confusion and what? Every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. I can fellowship with them. I can't fellowship with them. I can't fellowship here, so I'll go somewhere else and fellowship. Without par partiality... And partiality is based upon what? Without what? Hypocrisy. Pretending that I love. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And is there any peace with us in our relationships that when we fail, God first, and that affects others, is there any without forgiveness? And forgiveness is God confirming his love to us. And we'll stop here, and this, we're not even, uh, we're not even scratching beginning to scratch this of what God has given us. But we do thank you, Lord, who we are in our proper image. God, you just, you don't, you want us to deal with the areas of the flesh in instant obedience so that we don't wallow in it and make more of the disobedience than the obedience in a proper image in who we are in Christ. We just deal with things quickly and just go on. Not as each other's enemy, but we esteem others, Philippians 2, 3, better than ourselves. We stop looking at our own things, but on the things of others, because we let that mind be in us, that whole thought force, that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even as God didn't think it too lowly to lay aside the outward expression of his glory and deity by putting on humanity but made himself of no reputation. No reputation. When I compare, it's because I have a reputation that's outside of a proper image. Father, we thank you about who we are in, in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.